I want to I, I want to go into what I mentioned to you that I wanted to talk about because okay. um, and I'm gonna say it for everybody else. I so I recently we had a friendsgiving and I, and I heard you talk to some other people about this topic that I had a lot of interest in because it's something that everyone's uh, dealing with. I don't think they realize they're dealing with it and something that everyone's currently going through and hopefully there's an end to it. But everyone is trying really hard right now to, you know, become someone they expect themselves to be, become someone their parents want them to be or their society wants them to be. And if you look back, it, it was kind of easy, or not easy, but simpler uh, to get to a certain place than it is now when it comes to, you know, finances or success on paper. And people are judging themselves based on their parents, based on their uh, grandparents, how who got successful in their field and whatever they did at a younger age. And now it's taking us a lot longer to get there. And one of the r- things you said, which I was like, you know, that's right, where it's a lot of people are, they can't, the old generation's not leaving their jobs. And it's not because they're greedy. Uh, some, sure. But I don't think it's because they're greedy. I think it's because they can't. They can't leave. Like, I, I don't think my parents could dream of retiring. I don't, like, it's... So, young people can't find jobs for several reasons. And one of them is because people aren't retiring. There's no turnover. But people aren't retiring because they can't retire. So, one of the problems I see is that everyone's getting angry at each other Blaming that generation, blaming this generation, blaming, you know, that uh, political party, blaming that political party. But we're all going through the same problems and looking for someone to blame, and it's not fixing anyone. I think one of the reasons is because we are all going through the same problems, but we all think the other person should be able to do better, and we really can't. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm following. Yeah, I mean, well, just to clarify, it's not that young people aren't finding jobs. It's that there's no upward mobility. You know, like they're, they're long gone are the days where you can get a job with a com- company and stay with that company for your entire career, you know, 20, 30, whatever, yeah. however many years. And then you retire and you get your pension. Now they say that, you know, our generation millennials, they're switching jobs every like five to 10 years. And it's because there's no room for them to go up. And it's like, Instead of, you know, staying in a dead end, it's like, all right, well, let me go to another company. Because the thing is, companies like to hire from the outside. You know, like mm. at, at my last job, I was getting paid like a pretty substantial amount more than my coworkers for the same exact job. And they had more experience than I did in that role with that company. But because I came in from the outside, they gave me more. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, it is weird, but it's like companies value... It's like, it depends on what, what it is, right? Like if they're, at, it's like they, they promote internally to save money for like the higher paying jobs, but then for like the lower end jobs, they like people from the outside and they lure them in with, you know, high pay from the bottom. Yeah. But then like if they move up at all, they're only getting modest increases because it's cheaper than hiring somebody for that high-level position from the outside. At least that's what I've noticed, and that's what, you know, people who I've talked to have said has been their experience. So, you know, it's like the whole thing goes back to something I've mentioned a few times uh, to you and just to anybody who will listen, really. Yeah, yeah. Which is I think that 
you know, 30 is the new 20. Because, you know, we're all, like, we have, we have conversations all the time about, you know, what are we doing with our lives? Or me, you know, me especially, like, I'm always feeling like, damn, I'm 27 years old. I don't even have a college degree. Bro. I'm still living at home. Like, what am I doing, you know? But then, on the other hand, I'm like, thank God I didn't go to college right yeah. after high school. <laughs> yeah. Because I look at, like, 90% of my gra- high school graduating class and they're doing no better than I am or even worse off, excuse me, and they got their degrees. And it's like, why is that? Well, for one, they went into college right out of high school. And I think that, like, you know, teenagers get really bad advice, you know, going into adulthood where they're like, oh, just pick something you like learning about. You know, the important thing is you get a degree the rest will work itself out. And the, and who are they hearing that from? They're hearing it from parents and grandparents or older people wh- where yeah. that was their experience, right? When when a bachelor's degree could take you far. But it's not like that anymore, you know? And then on top of it, like, because I didn't go to college right after high school, it gave me time to, like, think about things for a bit and realize that there's a fundamental difference between wanting to learn about something versus wanting to do something for a living. Every, like for, I'll give you a, an example. And I'm not, if you're a psychology major, this isn't a dig against you <laughs> for anybody who's listening. But, you know, this is just one example that comes to mind because I've seen it happen a lot. Everybody loves learning about psychology, or most people do. Yeah, I, it's, I it's love interesting. Learning. Yeah, I mean, I, I got so many audiobooks about it, you know. Yeah. But it's one thing to want to learn about it versus do it for a living because it's like, okay, what does it actually entail? Because some people want to learn about something, but then do you want to sit and do research and write papers or maybe you like learning about it, but then do you want to like go into social work or become a clinical psychologist and listen to people's problems? Some people hate that. So it's like, if you don't actually take the time to understand what the career entails, you're going to trap yourself because it's like, you know, that's your day-to-day for the next few decades. <laughs> you'd think you'd want to make sure that whatever it is you end up doing, that you're not miserable doing it. Because, you know, there's this idea of like, oh, just pick something you enjoy so you never have to work a day in your life. Or, you know, never do something you hate for money. And, like, I think that's a very black and white way to look at it because there's a third option, right, where it's like, I do agree that you should never do something for money if it makes you miserable just for the money. But that doesn't mean the only other option is go for the thing that doesn't pay because you love it. Like you, you should, you know, it's hard situation to put yourself. In. Yeah. You know, but there's, there's, there's no rules to this shit. Right. Yeah. So like there's a third option, which is if you have to choose, at least in my opinion, if you have to choose between doing something you love for little to no money or doing something that you would still like, or even tolerate, you know, it doesn't make you miserable, at least, that would make you good money. There's nothing stopping you for going for the thing that makes you money because it sets you up to then later in life do the thing that you really love and ha- and, and do it from a position of comfort and stability. You know what I mean? Like, there's something that I've been bringing up pretty frequently, and it's that... And I think it's like the fourth episode in a row where I brought it up. Where most humans 
it's easier to see things through the short term and not through the long term. Yeah. Because, and listen, I'm, if, if I had any profession just talking out of my ass, so guys, take this with a grain of salt, all right? Don't get your news from me or anything. But it, it seems as though, like, primarily, humans look to the short term because we never, ever really expected to live that long. And now that we can expect to live to, like, you know, in, into our 80s or something, we still don't get that we can take our time. We can do what you did where it's like, okay, do something, make some money, and then eventually when you get to a point where you are you have comfort and safety, you can uh, more safely take on risks. Because a lot of people, a lot of my friends, um, a lot of my you know relatives, they are thinking short-term, and that's why they either quit or um, that's why they get really stressed out. When you got to slow down and be like, no, this is a process. It's going to take a long, long time. Um, and I was just adding that to what you were saying because I think that's kind of what you were telling me previously is that because you didn't go to college right away and, or what, you, you had some time to think, you were really able to figure yourself out and find out what your values are. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of it because – you know, like, regarding the short-term versus long-term thing, I think, you know, the fact that we're living longer is a part of it, right? Like, I, you know, I, I, I keep saying 30 is a new 20, and I'll, I'll get into that more. But, you know, I think that there's value in thinking short-term because short-term is where you should get specific, right? Okay. But I, I think that a mistake that a lot of people make is they try to get too specific about their long-term plans and – life just doesn't work that way. So many, there's so many variables, so many things that can change that it, it, if you have a very, very specific idea of what the long term is going to look like, I invite anybody to keep track of that and then see, you know, when that, when, when that date arrives that they had in mind for what long term means to see if their reality their long-term reality match their long-term vision because I think oftentimes it won't. You know, it's like, what is it, a Bob Dylan song that's like, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans? Mm. Or I think mm. it's Bob Dylan. I I'm think. not sure, but that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah I like so, that. But then, you know, to kind of bring it back, it's like I look at all the people that I graduated with and 90% of them, they took the bad advice. They, they picked something that they liked learning about and a lot, of, a lot of times it was psychology. And then they get a bachelor's in psych, and then they graduate, and then they can't get a job. And then they have all the student loan debt. Because the thing is, for one, <laughs> psychology is a degree that you can't just stop at a bachelor's degree. You have to go to graduate yeah, school. Yeah, you have to keep going. You got to get an advanced degree for it. But here's the thing about graduate school. If you don't plan to go to graduate school, guess where you're not going to go? <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. and on top of it, it's all, all that extra money, you know, that you got to shell out for graduate school. So a lot of people end up getting stuck and they're working the same jobs I am, except sometimes I make more money than them because I, I took the time to just gain work experience. You know what I mean? And, and you, you would say, I think we would agree that it was completely different when our parents were children or when our grandparents were children. Yeah. So, so that's, so that's where, you know, I say 30 is the new 20, because if you look at everything that our parents and grandparents generation did in their early twenties, things like getting married, buying a house, having kids, if that's something you want to do, 
finding your lifelong career or a company to stay with for the rest of your working life, right? Yeah. None of those things really happen for our generation until we're in our 30s, you know? And, and, and you can see evidence of this if you think back to all the teachers you had in, you know, kindergarten through high school, the ones that were young, like, you'll notice, if you really think and remember, if you can remember your teachers, it was the ones, the ones that were getting married or, or moving into their first house were the ones that were, like, 29, 30, 31 years old, or the ones that were having their first kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I can almost bet, and I, I'm willing to bet on it. Like, if you, think, if you think back to any of those teachers that were doing that stuff, they were in their early 30s. Well, I have, you know... 29 cousins, so I have a large pool of grads. Well, you could look at that, too. Yeah, I, yeah, like, looking at my family, like, the um, the times where people are actually accomplishing those things are getting later and later. Yeah, like, and, there's a, and there's a few reasons for that. And the reason I say teachers, other than the fact that it's a common example, is that I think public school teachers are a good indicator demographic because they make about the median U.S. household, like, U.S. income, you know, anywhere between, like, 40 to... 60 grand yeah. a year. Yeah. So they're kind of a good barometer to see like what the average is, right? And and a lot of like the, the younger teachers, especially new teachers, they just graduated. And you 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 track their careers and you'll see that okay, they're not getting married or settling down till they're in their early 30s or having kids until their early 30s. And of course there's always exceptions, right? Like I think in the rural areas, it's still kind of they're a little bit <laughs> um the, the way of living is still kind of uh, not too different from how it was. It's like you stuck know, in time a little bit. Uh, almost, yeah. You know, like just wh- where I was in Pennsylvania, right? Like there's a lot of young moms out there. Like yeah. <laughs> I actually I downloaded Tinder there just, just, <laughs> out, of, just out of curiosity. <laughs> like I, was, I wasn't even like, you know, looking for anything. I was just like, I want to know what the people are like. Out. Yeah. You've, you've done the same I thing. I did. I did that for yeah. a while. Yeah. I, actually, I, I actually thought of you when I, when I did that because yeah. I'm like, hey, you know what? I want. I want to. That's wanna, a good idea. Yeah, it was fun. It's the same way. Like I, whenever I go to a new town or like a new area, yeah. I always check out like the Goodwills because really? you I can you can tell a lot about the area you're yeah. in by the stuff that's in their Goodwills. Like when I went to Bold, when I was in Boulder, Colorado, it was all like cool wall art and like outdoor equipment. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because it yeah. was you know it was a college town, so you had all the like the cool wall art stuff for decoration. And then you had like hiking shoes and, you know, ski sets and all that shit. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, the, so there's the, always going to be exceptions. Wait, but go, go back to the, uh, the, uh, young mothers. And there's a lot of, the- Oh <laughs> yeah. So I, I was swiping through Tinder and it was like two thirds of the people coming up were like single moms. That's so funny. And they were my age <laughs> or younger. You know, a lot of them were younger. I mean, that's pretty actually. depressing, but that's funny how that happened. Yeah, but a, a lot of them were younger, actually. But Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And, um, but yeah, so, you know, people are settling down later is the point. You know, things that our parents or grandparents did in their early 20s are things that we don't do till, till our early 30s. And part of that is because we're living longer, like you were saying. Another part is the culture has shifted. People want to settle down can later. I, can I ask you uh, another question, though? Yeah. And I want you to give me your opinion. I've, I've talked this with a few people, um, and I think I'm, I'm kind of piecing together why it's becoming a problem. Um, you know, my mother and father married and had children very young, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And 
now both me and my older uh, <clears throat> sister are in our um, y- uh, younger and uh, early and Mid. late uh, late 20s. Oh, early and I th- late. Yeah, I think she's 27. I'm not too sure. But um, so w- I think one of the things a lot of people are going through is that what's supposed to happen, or supposed to with air quotes for anyone listening, is that you, you find a job, you uh, get fulfillment from the job. You, wh- if you have a family, you have a family, that's cool. If you find a hobby or something you're passionate about, you're, you're an artist, you build something, you create something, you become a full-fledged human being and you have things that make you want to wake up every day, right? But because a lot of people our age and a little bit older and younger aren't getting to a point where they can be stable, they've never really had an opportunity to actually find out what they love to do. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are depressed is because they don't have enough stability to actually f- know what it's like to live. Yeah. You know? That makes sense. Yeah, and it's it's survival mode is what it yeah. is. You know, like, when you're in survival mode, you prioritize things differently, you think differently, and a lot of things that I think, again, our parents and grandparents took for granted as a part of everyday life all of a sudden are, like, luxuries, yeah. Or, or, or pipe dreams yeah. to us. Like, can you imagine owning land? Yeah. Or right? owning property? Do you think we're, like, either of us are, like, can you visualize either of us I ever know. becoming homeowners? I know. Well, <laughs> I remember this guy from Wyoming, and I know the, you know, currency is relative to whatever state you're going to be in. Like, it's all going to be the same shit no matter what. Um, but this guy in Wyoming bought like 900 acres for like $19,000 or yeah, something. Yeah, that's crazy. But it's also, it's going to be relative to where you're living, yeah. you know? So I who mean, knows how much he makes in yeah. Wyoming. Even like where I was in Pennsylvania, right? Like houses are like 100,000. Some of them are like 70. And they're pretty nice too. Yeah. And well, like, fucking Jersey, man, is ridiculous. You'll see, you'll see a one f- floor, one story house with, with two bedrooms and it's worth like $700,000. That's not a joke. Like I've looked wow. with my friends. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, the, what? The least expensive I've seen in jerseys in, like, the low to mid-200s. And that's in, like, either the shitty parts of New Jersey or it's, like, South Jersey where there's also, yeah. like, fewer jobs. You know, that's yeah. the thing. It's always tied to, like, jobs. You know, like, ha- like housing is a lot cheaper out in rural Pennsylvania where I was, but there's, like, barely any jobs out there, you know? But... To go back to what we were saying, you know, that's why I say 30 is the new 20 because everything that, you know, the previous generation did in their early 20s, we're doing in our early 30s, sometimes even a little bit later than that. Yeah. And part of it is intentional because the culture has shifted. Like, you know, we were saying, like, people want to settle down later. They want to have time to discover themselves and, you know, like what you were saying. And it's like, if you don't finally become stable until you're, you know, late 20s, then, yeah, you're going to want at least a year or two to kind of explore and figure out, being, yeah, yeah, be a human, you know, not, not just be a survival animal, you know? So I think, yeah, and then what ties into that, too, is the other part of it, it's, it's not willful because, like, we can't do the things, even if you want to get married at 25 or 22 or whatever, you can't. How are you going to afford it or have a kid? Or buy a house. You can't do it, right? Yeah. So so it's a mix of those things. And yet, the societal pressure is still coming from, like, the previous generation's understanding of how things are, you know? 
it's like it's like the, like people the people like people still think oh you're supposed to have your life together in your 20s and it's like yeah maybe that was true in the 70s and 80s you know 80s is even pushing it the last bit. 80 years was an anomaly like that's not <laughs> normal for people on earth like that doesn't well you know i would i would argue the opposite i would say really? he, now is the anomaly because hmm. now things are wildly expensive to now like what you were saying before even the old people can't retire you know because i know like like you know cost of living has gone up but like like i know like countries like like italy for example like they all like they've always lived i don't know if it just that just might be the culture i'm pretty sure it probably is they all live in the same house like generation after generation like it's not i feel like it's more common to be in a a kind of like financially like torn kind of like uh political like hellscape than to be completely okay and to have like a cookie cutter uh neighborhood i, I feel like america was kind of anomalous i don't i don't think we are we we tried and we've done really good but now we're going through a huge hump you know so yeah it might be an anomaly for an Amer- for america but i'd like to see someone so i'm not i'm, I'm not going to be able to argue this very well but I, I it doesn't look like the rest of the world knows our culture firsthand in their own country um because i don't think this cookie cutter lifestyle is normal you know, the uh, graduate from high school and get a pension. And I, I had this job when I was 18 and now I'm 65 and I get to ro- sail the world in my boat. Like that was uh, you're, you're saying, anomalous. Okay. I see what you're saying. So in the global context, yes, not country, the global context, right? Th- it is anomalous, but in a purely like American domestic yeah. context, the anomaly is that yes. that system is no longer working. Okay. Whereas it worked yeah. for so long before, even if it was outside the norm of other countries. Am I reading that? Correctly. No, no, yeah, you're saying, yeah, you, okay. you got it. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. So it's like, all right, so it's like we're still being pressured as if it's the 1970s by people who lived their glory days in the 1970s. Yes, yes. And so many people are, you know, our age and lower are falling into the trap because they're like, ah, I got I to gotta get my shit together. I got to go to college. All right, I just got to, what do I want to, just pick something I like learning about? Okay, I'm going to go for psychology or I'm going to go for, I don't know, Pick something. I'm. I'm not trying to. And then here's the <laughs> other problem. Any specific major, but you know. The other problem is that some people have no choice. It's like either become homeless or dorm at school. Like I know people personally that had to make that choice. So right. it's like I'm so so blessed with the with the family that I have. You know that what they can help me provide to me. Yeah. Um. I. I I'm not going to sit here and say I. I. I don't believe there's any th- such thing as a self-made man, and I know I'm not. I'm no success story. I'm fucking living with my father but without him i wouldn't be able to do this shit a lot of people don't have that so it's like they get caught in yeah a trap where they have to make a choice but i feel like before i i let you uh say something i I feel like i'd be doing a disservice to everyone listening and to uh, someone i recently had on if i didn't say this there there was a kid who's 21 i told you about him uh before he at around 18 years old started making his own landscaping business and now he's been doing it five to six years, and he's making real profit. He's 21 years old, making real profit. It's a business he made on his own, and he's engaged. Um, but also, I don't know what you know blessings he's had or whatever he's been afforded uh, with his parents or anything. I don't, I don't know what his condition was like. Sure. But uh, there are people that can still get out of that trap. And he didn't go to college, though. So he, he got out of the trap by doing a more... I, uh, sounds horrible. Practical thing. Well, no, I'm 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 so glad you said that because that actually <laughs> goes into one of the other things I I 
whenever I have this conversation that I that I talk about. It's that to me that all comes back to the pressure, right? And and I want to touch on both things you said. So the people that are being forced out of their house at eighteen, right? It's either go to college or join be the homeless. Marines. That again, like those that's a really unfortunate thing because it's like I think that no parent who is sincere about prioritizing the welfare of their kid would ever want to force that choice onto their kid if they had a true awareness and understanding of what things are like today. Because, like, it's easy to say that, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, because back again, back in those days, if you stayed at home after high school, odds are it was, you know, oh, you're being lazy. Not because, oh, shit, it's really expensive out here. Not, not even just to live, but even to get an education, right? Like, even the advice of, like, just pick something you like learning about, right? In the past, you know, when tuition was a lot cheaper, you could go do a year or two in one major, decide you hate it, switch majors, and even if none of your credits carried over, it w- the stakes were a lot lower, right? Because cause yeah. school was so much less expensive, whereas now you can't afford to switch halfway through, you know? So, so it's like, it's such a hefty weighted decision with so much money on the line where it's like, I, I got to make sure that whatever major I pick, that that's the one I'm going with. Because if I don't, I'm just, I just now put myself $50,000 in the hole and now I have to start from zero. Right. And it wasn't like that before. And, and then the people that are putting this pressure on their kids and on us Oftentimes they don't understand that, you know, so, so it comes back to that same pressure. And now to the second thing, you, you mentioned, you know, your friend who had the landscaping business, that's a trade. And I'm so pro trade school because that's the other part of the conversation that needs, that really needs to be had, which is that, you know, the shift away from blue collar work where it's like, everyone's being pushed towards college. In my school, trades weren't even talked about. I think the one vocational type class we had was like a woodshop class. And that was like for fun, you know what I mean? Nobody took it seriously. You know, it was an elective actually is what it was. Yeah. It wasn't even part of the mandatory curriculum. And because what what ended up happening is at some point, I want to say it was like the late 80s, early 90s. I could be completely wrong on this. But around there there was this push towards like, get a degree, get a degree, get a degree. You got to be educated, you know, like blue collar work used to be held in high regard and, and, and it was respected. And then there was this devaluation of, you know, blue collar workers and, you know, trade workers. And then what ended up happening is all these towns made, you know, and counties made their vocational schools and they separated the vocational curriculum from the rest of the public school curriculum. And then what, all these towns started doing, and this is especially true at least in East Brunswick, they would dump the problem kids to the vocational school. Isn't that weird? How that happens? It's very weird. That you know, it, everyone notices that. Yeah, and then it's like, all right, well now you're 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 stigmatizing trade schools and the vocational schools, so nobody wants to put their kid there, so and then it's not even part of their curriculum, so they never have the. They never have the opportunity to decide if college is even right for them or if they'd be better off, you know, doing a trade. You know, all the people that I know that are successful right now, going back to what I was saying before about like 90% of the people that I graduated with 
um, are doing just as poorly, if not worse than I am, because I at least don't have any student loans. Bro, yeah, don't even get me started. The only people that are doing well right now that I know are the ones who went into a trade or the business, um, or, or fi- not business, the finance majors and the doctors. Yeah. So like the doctors, the finance majors and the trade school people, the ones who, who decided not to go to college, you know, and, and, and arrived at that conclusion, you know, one way or another. So it's like, and then, and then what do you see? You, you see like this last time I was on the podcast, I was talking about this whole idea of like, Oh, they're, you know, immigrants are taking the jobs. And it's like, what are you talking about? There's so many trade jobs. People don't even talk about that anymore. Yeah. But it's like, there's so many, like, like in the same breath, people will be like, Oh, we don't have enough plumbers and electricians. Nobody wants to do honest work. And it's like, that doesn't even like these two competing narratives don't even like they don't fit together. But but what is true is that yeah, it's not that nobody wants to do honest work. It's that people don't even know that's an option anymore. I think we have to coin it. We have to call it the the Rudolph dilemma, where people only want you in when you're necessary. Right. Like you're not pretty, but we need you. Right. You know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's like that's what it is because people like like I want my kid to you know, dress, ha- be in a suit or be in some kind of dress and, like, go to and be sp- speak like this and speak like that. But when they start visualizing their kid in, like, motor oil, they're like, ew, like, that's not, like, a clean-cut person. No, that's the person that owns all these businesses. Right. Like, but, that's the guy. And the, and the thing is, too, is that it wasn't even always like that. People used to look up yeah, to. Yeah, people used to look up to They'd look at it. that and they'd be like, wow, look at that. That's a hard worker. That was the American thing. Yeah. Like, that that's, was That's it. a rugged person right there you know so what do you think it was then what do do you think it was again it's it's there was this push this shift towards getting a higher education because at the time i think it it probably when there were plenty of higher education or degree-based jobs available they probably were more lucrative than trades but it's like now it's the other way around now you can go to trade school for a couple couple of years and come out and start at like 60 a year then jump to 90 or 100 and then have the ability to start your own business would you attribute it to saturation yeah part of it's saturation where it's like there's too many college grads and not enough college grad jobs and part of that is again the pipeline is clogged at the top because there's that lack of upward mobility because the people who should have retired by now can't or won't it's a little bit of both yeah you know um so it's like the pipeline is clogged uh, for the, you know. No, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So then, so would you expect this to always be in flux? Where it's like, this is going to be, like, trades are going to be saturated, and then um, non-trades are going to be saturated, and then the trades are going to be saturated. Like, we're always going to go back and forth every, like, 50 to 80 years. Like, that that seems like what, you know. I couldn't tell you. Because, I mean, we'd have to we'd have to look at that and see if that's happening. We haven't even been a country long enough to really test that that theory. I mean, we we should look into it. See, like, I I can't give an answer because, well, you know, I I don't know. Do you think, because I was talking to someone about how no one could afford this, no one could afford that. People can't really make a decision because they can't afford to make decisions. Like, a lot of it revolves around money. And, um this isn't sustainable for us as a as a country i mean like in in any facet i don't think it's sustainable um and i don't know if i want to go as far to say college is a broken institution but when college was made like years ago like hundreds of years ago 
in this country when we had we had we when we had universities like almost no one went because it was a, it was very like oh you got to be really smart to go there and like right. it was like 30 people per graduating class 10 people per graduate like sure. that and we kind of treat college like not not much about college has changed because we all expect people to go in do the same things and then go out and all find the same job but that's not possible because there's not that many jobs for the same thing right I feel like something needs to be fixed, and I don't think continuing to get people into school to go through the same motions as thousands of other kids is a good idea, you know? Cause yeah, well, sorry if I, there, if there's, I jump in. I, there's a um, – I, I don't remember what it was, but my, my boss actually told me about it. It's a, it's a way of teaching ch- children where it's like you allow them to choose the path where they want to go, and oh, are you talking about like Montessori? Something schools, like that. It sounded schools, pretty cool. I, I, I did no research into it whatsoever, but yeah. she said, oh, it sounds, because I said, oh, what if we did this? And she's like, oh, there's a word for that. Yeah. What's stopping us from doing something more like that? Because if there's so Cause many nobody, people, nobody's thinking about it. Yeah, right? I don't get it. Like, well, this is what we need. We need people in government. We see that, like, that's the other thing, too, is that, like, our government has stagnated because it's run by all these old people who are not in touch with today's climate or today's issues, right? That's why, like, we need young people who have lived these experiences yeah. and see it firsthand and, and are willing to put solutions forward. Because, you know, I've thought about this, right? Like, now we're talking more like, you know, if we were to brainstorm solutions, how would we fix this? So I think it's not even just that there's not enough, like, advanced degree jobs out there, because that's not even necessarily true. It's that there's a mismatch. It's the same way that, you know, there's so many job openings right now because of COVID, but then there's also so many unemployed people, and but nobody, like, the jobs are still not getting filled. It's not because they're lazy. It's a, it's a mismatch. It, like, the, the, the potential workforce that's available is not, is, is not a good match for the jobs that are available. And it's the same thing, you know, happening on a larger scale with, with whether, like, Again, the fact that there's all these trade jobs and not enough people to fill them, and then you have certain, you know, occupations where there's too many people, um, but then you have others where it's like it can't, you can't fill them fast enough. Like yeah. computer science, right? Like that's a that's a field where it's it's ever growing, and if you if like I would probably say computer science is one of, you know, one of a number of degrees where like you can safely go into that and come out the other side and you'll definitely have a job waiting for you. But then again, it's like, that's, that's Sounds compu- kind of soul sucking. Well, it, see for some people, that's yeah. how they would feel about yeah, it. Me, Whereas me, for others, <laughs> you know, but that's what I, you have to have that alignment, right? Yeah, well, there can't be yeah. that mismatch. My so. friend is an engineer and, and all he does is math problems all day and he loves it. Right. It sounds like hell to me. Though. So, so then the question really is how do we create a system that matches the workforce and or the potential workforce to the jobs that are right mm-hmm. for them. And and the current system we have where we have a public school system that has separated vocational education out of their curriculum, that needs to change. We need to reintegrate trade um, classes into, you know, our regular curriculum. And if, if I... If I could have it my way, I would change senior year. Senior year in high school was a joke, right? Because yeah. everybody, what do they do? They take the SATs in their sophomore or junior year. They apply for colleges. They get a decision, and they know where they're going to college in their senior year of high school. 
And what do they do this senior year? It's like 90% electives. Why? It's like, what a waste of time. Like, instead, what we could have done or what we could do if somebody's willing to actually, you know, sit down and try to work the problem is make senior year about career exploration, you know, like, or, or even switch it. Make, make senior year the year that you apply for colleges if you want to go to college and make junior year about career exploration. Give kids a chance to see what's out there and be like, hey, you know what? I really love, turns out I really love auto mechanics or I really love woodworking or I, I want to become an electrician and I would have never been exposed to this unless I went to the vocational school. Well, you know what I mean? Like, but if you put it all together then you have a greater chance of an alignment and then you also give people a chance to tie careers to their passions and not just pick things they want to learn about from a selection that's already been hindered because they took half of what's possible and separated it into its own school. Yeah. Does that make sense? No. I I mean, I'm, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I do think one problem, though, would be that a year's too short of a time. 180 days is not long enough to figure that out. But also, before we even fix senior year, right? When you go to college, they do the same things to you. I went, I went to college to for writing, okay, and I and I was in an art class drawing lines. We were, it was literally like a line drawing art class. And why was I there? Like, there's classes. People like take like take an average of like 30 hours in their co- like their college uh, careers that have nothing to do with what they want to do. Yeah. They're just throwing money out the window. And I and people will use the excuse, oh well we want our students to be well rounded. I'm like, motherfucker, that was what high school was for. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm at college 12. now. Yeah. I think even though, you know, college isn't a trade school, I think it should be treated like a trade school. You should go for what you want to go and only learn about that. It would reduce the time you're there and you get more out of your money. I right. think that would make so much more sense. So I think before we could even fix the yeah. whole high school thing, right. why do colleges do that? Well, I think if I had to guess, it, it comes back to like the same reason why. And this is, you know, before this pandemic started, right before it really started, I, I got a full-time job, right? And uh-huh. I was so excited because it, you know, yeah, I remember. finally my years of work experience paid off. I was able to land a job where, you know, I was making almost 50 grand a year. And I was like, that was what was going to pay for college for me. Yeah. Right. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, I refuse to go do online classes because half these professors don't know what the fuck they're doing. And, and you know, they're, they're not, they're not able to, and, and I say this because I've had friends told me how much of a headache they've had going through college during the pandemic, you know, and how much different it was and how they weren't able to learn as well. You know, and it's like college tuition. I read, I remember reading something about how like the cost of tuition has rose steadily over the last 30 years, whereas the quality of education has remained the same. And yeah, no, yeah. And, but you know why that is? It's because college are spending all this money on brand spanking new facilities and paying their football coaches, you know, millions of dollars a year yeah. because they're trying to compete with each other and draw students to their college saying, oh, look, you know, we have these brand-new facilities. All the money, man. Look how good our football team yeah. is, right? Because it's all it's all a money-making scheme at this point. It's not about the education. It's about the profit. And then they have the nerve to still charge – because they're all like, oh, tuition's rising because of these new facilities. It's like, okay, 
well, now we can't go to these yeah. new facilities because of the pandemic, so you're going to reduce our tuition, right? Nope. No, because the tuition isn't about the facilities. It's about the quality of education. That's kind of funny, though. Imagine like going bullshit. to like a Rutgers <laughs> football game as a Rutgers student and be like, I paid for those uniforms. Like, yeah. That's fucking but weird it, to think about. But it's it's bullshit, right? It's like all of a sudden, like, like the fact that, you know, I just on principle, I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm paying full tuition yeah. to take classes on my computer, you know, when well, well, hold on, because uh, schools do have a reduced uh, tuition for online school, but there were cases when the pandemic came out that those who were uh, in person did not get a reduction. Right. But if you went in with online school, there, there is a reduced tuition cost. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. That would have been good to know. Yeah. But even still... I didn't want to go. To, I didn't want to take online classes either way. Yeah, no, no, it's so, not a good. Well, but, um, it's it's not a good thing to do if you, especially if you want to learn. The, the other problem is that it's a real shame yeah, when you I, take online classes and it's just as good as in person classes because teachers don't give a shit. Right. Sometimes that happens, and that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, I love I I miss being in a classroom environment. Honestly, I I I thrive in a classroom. You know, especially. Yeah. Like, I learn well just by listening. That's why, like, Audible has been a game changer for me. Every time I listen to a new audiobook, I feel like, you know how in the... Sponsored by Audible. (laughs) You know how in the Matrix you can, like, download new skills to your brain? That's what Audible has been for me, especially with how much time I spend in my car. You know, like, I just did a five-hour drive. You know, I was listening to an audiobook, you know, on that drive and learning, you know? Yeah. But it's like... Online classes, you know, some people, they do okay with that. Other people, it's just, I'm one of those people where I, I can't just do online classes. I ha- I have to be in person. I need to hear the person, be able to engage with them in a, in a more face-to-face setting. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. It just, it doesn't do it for me. But well, that's the other thing. Uh, so the guy I was talking about, the 21-year-old, with the, his name is Derek. Um, that's the other thing he was talking about where he's like, why would I go to school when... I can literally learn all the things I want to learn on my own. And so he's looking at it from a, if I want to learn something out of, because I'm interested, I can just do it on my own. Right. Whereas colleges are looking at it's like, if it, it, it does make sense, unfortunately, but it does make sense. Whereas if a job wants to hire you, they have to know that you've gone through this, uh, you, that you've learned everything, or at least you've gone through these classes. So you need that piece of paper for jobs to trust you. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it's like, how else a job's going to trust you? Yeah. Well, again, I think, so like computer science is actually one of those, one of the fields where that's an exception, where you can learn it on your own, learn to code and get certifications rather than going through the degree route. Right. But beyond that, it's like, like to your point, right. It kind of ties back to what I was saying before about wanting to learn about something versus wanting to do it for a living. We're being pressured with this outdating outdated thinking you know from the 70s or whatever where the internet didn't exist whereas now you can have your cake and eat it too you can find something you want to do for a living and still learn about the things you want to learn about whereas in the past you know if you wanted to learn about something it was a lot harder yeah unless you went to school for it like yeah sure you can go to a library or whatever but who who would have the time for that right whereas now it's like you know, all the information you could possibly want to learn about is right here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but it's like the people that are putting this pressure on us 
You know, just pick something you want to learn about. Go to college. Go to college. Go to college. Like, I want to learn about everything. It's like, I, like I want to learn about everything. Yeah. So that advice doesn't serve me anymore. Whereas maybe that that may have worked in the seventies, but in addition to that, I can learn about everything because, like you said, you know, we have the internet now. We have Audible. So don't tell me pick something I want to l- learn about. Tell me to pick something that I could see myself doing for a living and and what that looks like. You know, so so it's like again, it's the conversation needs to change. The structure of, of the public school system needs to change, you know, so that there can be alignments. It's, it's a big task, you know? And, and, and I think that the only way it's going to happen is if people like us start going into government and becoming government and can changing you imagine ourselves. Mark Gervino in yeah. government. Yeah. I couldn't, they couldn't see me past the podium. <laughs> um, you never know, man. Yeah, maybe I'll break my shins and grow a little bit longer. <laughs> um, well, no, I'll just put you on. Uh, they'll give me a a, 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 stool. a, phone, a phone book or something. They'll put, yeah, yeah, they'll give you a phone book to stand yeah. on. Exactly. Um, I was gonna say, I, 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 yeah, I definitely think um, the whole like the conversation needs to change. I, I always say that the only way to raise a better future is to raise better children. So I think there's some places where it's gonna be very hard to you know raise a better future because sure you can change your institutions. But it's a lot harder to change people than it is to change institutions. And culture's not going to just change overnight. I think, you know, some parents do it right. Some parents, you know, let their children be the guide to their own life. And then the parents support yeah. them doing that. But that's not something we can just change. Um, so it's like you're, you're, you're the luckier or not when it comes to that. But definitely, like, th- something's gonna give i'm and i've i've i work around like i'm not i don't work at a school but i work around a lot of educators because i work at a gym and all the all the teachers come in after school yeah and they all agree they all say how horrible the schools are working right now and and not just right now in covid i mean like i've been around these people for for three years and they've been saying all three years it's it's not working something is going to change and one of the biggest things um someone said to me about school and about college is that people don't want to pay for things they don't need. So some something's got to change. And I hope someone figures it out because as soon as someone figures it out, uh, that's where the money's going to be. And, and I don't want it to be about money, but that is where the money's going to be, you know? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm just at this point where I'm realizing more and more that nothing's going to change on its own. You know, we have to take an active role. I think we as a generation – like, I understand, like, in many ways, our generation, you can say, it's a bit of a strong word to se- to use, but I think it, I'll use it loosely. Like, yeah, we as a generation have kind of been victimized by circumstance. You know, like, a lot has happened in the last 30 years that Very have really tough. thrown things off, you know, between, yeah. you know, like, 9-11 and, and two wars and, you know, the, the, the recession and <laughs> now COVID. Like, but it's like... We can only like we can only play that card for so long. Well, right? it's it's the responsibility thing because it's like <laughs> it's such a horrible example, but it's small enough to really understand. I was walking inside from my mudroom and someone's jacket fell off the hook. Not my jacket, but you it because it fell. It's my responsibility to pick it up. It's not my fault this shit's happening in the world, but it's my responsibility to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, what I'm saying is, you know, I think we as a generation need to take a more active role in producing the change that we want to see. And we're yeah. starting to. I mean, at least on the social front, 
we're, we're, we're starting to do that. I mean, in some areas, like we talked about last time I was on here, sometimes in some areas we're overcorrecting a little bit. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think it'll iron itself out. You know, like the pendulum will kind of settle or mm. whatever. But, but I think we need to take that same fervor and apply it to things beyond just social change. We need to, you know, apply it towards like, okay, we're not happy with government. Go become government, you know, and then put out legislation. Do like I, I've honestly considered it. You know, like once I have my citizenship, I'm I, I would consider a run. Just how know, far can you go without being born here? You could become Congress, but you just can't be really. Yeah, you can't. I have no you, idea. You can't be, become president or anybody in the presidential line of succession. So you can't be vice president or would secretary you? of state or any of that. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, you can't be in the line of succession, but, um, but yeah, you could be a congressperson. I mean, that's know? basically the top. Like, that's pretty high up yeah. there. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm not like teasing that I'm yeah, gonna run, you're for, gonna Congress run for Congress. Yeah, you're gonna run for Congress. I'm like that. That was just I'm just giving an example. You, you know, I mean, who the fuck knows, man? Like, even where I am now, right? If if anybody told me that this is what my life would be even a year ago, I would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I, who's to say, right? I mean, people like, always say that, but I feel like if anyone told me the future, I'd probably just believe them. <laughs> you know, if anyone, well, like, you know, I, I don't know. I guess that's where you and I differ. But I mean, that also comes back to the whole, like, my belief is that, you know, your long term, like the, the more longer term you go, the more general your vision should get because you, you should be flexible and adaptable. Like in the short term, you can be specific. But the further out you go, five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan, you should be more general so that way you can account for, you know, unknown variables and how things might change. Like, for example, right, like, just going back to the whole, like, 30s and new 20 thing. I didn't realize until this year that I have a real passion for dog training, Mm. you know, and I seem to have a knack for it. And everybody around me has been telling me, wow, you're really good at this. You should do it for and i was like yeah you're right i should do this for a living i am pretty good at this right and it all started when i got my dog but um it's like i just figured that out and i'm i'm taking like i have a specific plan for how i'm gonna go about it i know i know the guy i'm gonna call on the phone Mm -hmm. this week who who offers a master trainer certification i know what the next you know i i have a specific plan in mind whereas my I'll say five-year plan or 10-year plan is more general where it's like... So five years would be long-term for you? No, no, no. I'm just saying as an example, like okay, the f- okay. as the further out you go, the more general you get. So like my specific, you know, one-year plan ha- is very like detailed, whereas my five-year plan is more ge- broad. Like, you know, I would like to be moved out. You know, I'm not saying, oh, I, I, I'm going to be in Colorado or Pennsylvania, or whatever, and I'm going to live in this house, and it's going to have this amount of land, and, you know, like, that's too specific. I I go more general. I'm like, no, my goal five years from now is to be moved out. I'm not sure what that looks like, but it's broad enough to where I can account for maybe I'll be in an apartment, maybe I'll be in a house, maybe I'll be in New Jersey, maybe I'll be in Pennsylvania. That's okay. But, you know, it's like, I'm not setting myself up for failure or disappointment by saying 
five years from now, I'm going to be living in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm going to have a house, and it's going to have three rooms, this, that, the other thing. You get what I'm saying? No, I get it. Yeah. Um, someone talked to me about this before, uh, a, 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 a while ago, an episode I recorded, where he said that... Um, you could have goals and you could have plans, but if if you make it too specific, and, and he was talking about it in more of a spiritual kind of the planets aligned in kind of way, it's like yeah. if you um get too specific, you're not giving the universe room to actually do something for you. So I guess everybody in all areas of life kind of say the same thing, where it's like you know you could have a plan, but it's when you get specific that things get fucked up. Yeah. So it's like because you're you're setting yourself up for failure, I guess. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you then because I, I I do like how you said uh. You know, as the years go on, it's you. You have to be more general with it. D- could you actually put a number? At least, not not saying for anybody else, but for you, what a lo- how many years it would be long term, and how how many years would be short term for you? Though, I mean, see, it's tough because part of it comes back to like living in that survival mode. That's such a common thing among our generation. Um, we can cut. No, no, no. I'm just. Um, so it's like, I, it's hard for me to even visualize life past the next five years, right? Which I think that's also an anomaly. Cause I feel like maybe previous generations, they, they can visualize their future and feel optimistic about it. But for me, it's like, things have been just so unstable for so long for the majority of my life that I've been conditioned to not even think past a year, honestly. Like, I think this is the first time in my life that I'm thinking past one year. And that just really goes to show. And and part of that is unique to me because of the whole survival mode, sit, like, family situation I was in. You know, yeah. what I spoke about last time I was on here with yep. the whole immigrants being immigrants and coming here right before 9-11. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's also, like, for one reason or another, I think that that is true for a lot of people in our generation where, where they can't think past a year or two years or five years. So for me, you know, it's, it's hard for me to even picture that far out, but to answer your original question to me, I would say short term is like, I'll I'll give a range. Short term would be like one to five years, you know, medium term would be five to five to ten years we'll say okay and then long term would probably be more like you know 15 20 and above yeah but i mean again it's like it's subjective i'm just yeah, yeah it's, I'm it's all subjective for, for, yeah. for sure opinion i'm not yeah. asking you to answer anybody's life yeah. questions but but that's the thing that's something that I, again like to keep it personal like that's something that i'm trying to work on right it's it's i'm trying to finally for the first time in my life be able to look further ahead than I have before because in the past it wasn't safe for me to do that. You know, like things were so unstable in my life, you know, both personally and with my family in general that I just was conditioned to never think that far out because it was only, you know, it, it would, it would always lead to disappointment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It always, yeah. I get that. Yeah. It's, um, it's like when you're younger and, I mean, I was. I think I was the only kid I knew that wasn't looking forward to growing up, but 
um, all my friends and, you know, my, my sister and everyone would be like, oh, I can't wait till I'm this age or that age. I can't wait to do this. It's like when you're younger, you don't realize how fast life is going to catch up yeah. with you. So it's like you sit, you lay down in your bed and think, oh, I've got all the time in the world. So it's like when you're in that situation, you're also in a really bad, like, you know, whether it be a family situation or like you're in a bad part of the world, everything feels like it's going to take a lot longer everything is going a lot slower so it's like you don't think about the future because you don't feel like you have to and for a lot of people they don't feel like they can because being a kid is a lot different than being an adult because time moves so much slower you know what i'm trying to get at the older you get the faster time moves yeah and that's that's actually true um and not like literally time moves faster but because well, it's your basis. Your f- comparison gets larger, yeah, right? Yeah. Where it's like when you're a kid, you if you've only been alive for five years, a year is a fifth of your lifespan exactly. so far. Exactly. And that's a long time. Whereas, you know, when you're 25. So it's like when you're a kid, the, the largest problem is not your future. The largest problem is what you're experiencing at that moment. So I could understand what you're saying. By putting it in that perspective, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, whereas right now, one of the lar- your largest problems might yeah be your future. So where the fuck am I going to be next year? Right. You know I don't have enough time to think about right now what's up bothering me because I've got too much to think about for what's coming tomorrow or the next day. I'm not saying it's a healthy way to live, but that's how a lot of people are feeling. No, that's that's interesting because um, one I I forgot where I saw this, but uh, it might have been Instagram where it's like it was one of those like mental health Instagram things, and it was. It talks about, like, are you future-minded or past-minded, right? Mm. Like, what, like some people, they're like you, or they're always thinking about tomorrow and the future and, and anxious about, me. you know, anxious about the future, whereas others, like me, <laughs> tend to have more of a problem oh. with the past, right? I'm, I'm more like, you know, I've been really digging into, like, uncovering my past trauma and how it's affected me. You know, I've been in therapy wow. and... You know, so I'm more past minded, and the goal <laughs> for either of us—it's a good observation on this. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I can't take credit for it, but I f- really find it to be relevant, especially, you know, with no, between the between two of two us. Between two of us, that's like yeah, a perfect observation. Because you're future minded, I'm I, totally yeah, future minded. I'm more past minded because yeah, and I could totally see that. Yeah, because I'm because also the events of that have happened in my past have led me to perceive the world in a way wow. where I anticipate bad things to happen i'm afraid to look ahead and be positive and but it's like we're both wrong right yeah because like the goal right and this is actually what you go to therapy for right the goal is to get to a state of being where you can be in the present you're not anxious about the future and you're not anxious about the past you're anxious about the future all the time i'm anxious about the past yeah what i what we should both be doing is working towards a state of being where we can live in the present. All right, I got a question. Yeah. Okay, so not that I could answer for you and you could answer for me, and I know you're going to be biased and I'm going to be biased. What do you think is harder, recovering from the future or recovering from the past? I actually think the past might be harder because it's something you actually went through, whereas the future is unknown, so you can't really... There's not Anything you fuck up, you have to do in the present. I don't think... I, I don't, don't know. I don't think you can really... Yeah, what is it? 
I don't think you should. I don't really think it's. See, that's a binary. Maybe way maybe, maybe recovers right? the wrong word though. No no no. But I get what you're. I get what you're getting at though. Like what what's what's more of a struggle? What's what's a what's what's a bigger hardship? Because I want to know how to fix it. Like <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like even thinking about it that in those terms, that's black and white thinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and one of the things I've been learning in therapy is black and white thinking is not really useful in a lot of situations, right? So is it not applicable in this situation? It's not applicable because I think they can both be crippling, right? Well, if yeah, you, if you're if yeah. you are so anxious about the future and all the different potentials and what could go wrong and this and that the other thing that it it can cripple you from being able to move you know in a positive way because yeah. you're you're frozen. When I, I shouldn't say crippled, that's kind of a harsh word. Your par- it no, paralyzes you, it. right? Like be ang- anxiety about the future can be just as paralyzing as anxiety yeah. that was born from the past, and they kind of go like tie together because, like, when I say anxiety from the past, it still involves my future because it's like mm. I'm anticipating bad things, or you know, or, or I'm just still like feeling victimized by past events or whatever, yeah. but the thing that I've been working towards this past year and a half has been finally learning to let go of that and trying to be more in the present. And I'm noticing changes within me, whether it's the way I think or the way I perceive to the actions that I take in the world, you know, where I'm finally, because I'm not living in the past as much, I'm starting to do, I'm starting to be more of an adult and, and kind of claim my independence more and more. You know, between like this thing I've been working on going back and forth between New Jersey and Pennsylvania to now having like a career path in mind and taking steps towards that, you know, or even getting my dog. Right. Like I had a moment where. At first, it looked like I wasn't going to be able to get him and I was like really upset and resentful towards my parents. And then I and I I was like almost like flashing back to when I was a child right where i was powerless and i didn't have the ability to be taken seriously and negotiate and then i realized no wait i'm a fucking adult now i can go talk to the landlord myself and make my case and be heard and taken seriously and it's sometimes it's as simple as that just remembering that you're not that helpless kid that you were when you were 8 9 10 11 whatever years old when a lot of these terrible things happened to you and you could do nothing about it now you're an adult. You have allies. You have resources. You have skills. People take you more seriously. And and it was finally like having that moment and remembering that is what enabled me to reach out to my landlord, make my case for getting permission to get my dog, and I was able to convince him. And he was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm fine with you getting a dog, you know, on this property. So it's like, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot, a lot of growth that's been happening the last year and a half. You know, a lot of things that I've been learning and figuring out and, you know, whether you're future minded or past minded, I think the goal is for either of us to try to get more of a place of being in the present. I remember when you came here for your first episode, which is almost a year old. And has it really been that long? Almost a year old. You're right. Holy shit. It's almost a year old. Yeah. And when you came over, in the conversation we had before we started recording, looking from the outside in and only seeing you very sparingly in my life, 
I would say that's when you started really changing for the better. It's after you read that book. It's after uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. It's after you read that book. It's um, and you're telling me how much you've changed, how much you're learning. From my perspective, that's when you started going uphill. It was incredible, and no, in, well, thanks. Man. And seeing you now, yeah. it's um, like what a coincidence! All the people I've talked to recently are going through these crazy like tra- transformations. Yeah. It, they, they're, they're like metamorphosis, right? It's you, you definitely, you definitely change for the better, and I, <laughs> I love having people on that um, are smarter than me because I, I uh, when I have to edit it later. And I'm like Jesus Christ! I can't believe I said that. And it's like, but but it's so. Wait, wait. Did you say people that are smarter than you? Yeah, yeah. Because it I, you're not giving yourself enough credit. That's right? no, no. But that's the goal. That's uh, I didn't say that to fish for compliments. Okay, <laughs> I, I know you were, but I'm just I'm By letting way, you know. That I'm, I'm sorry. You, you do that a lot. I'm sorry, Hold on, real quick. I'm sorry if anybody hears like ticking noises. I have a turtle in this room, and he literally likes playing with a rock. He takes a rock and he just spins it. It's like the craziest thing. So I'm sorry if you hear that. Anyway. Um, no, I, I, I like having people on like you because you're someone that I could, I could actually track growth with, you know, some people, um, whether it's like someone that does like, uh, if they have a clothing brand or if they're, you know, write, writing uh, a book or if they're a musician, it's like, you can track growth with, you know, their venture, but it's much more interesting to track growth, um, from like a human perspective, like I can see you as a person growing. I think that's really cool because yeah, it's almost a year since we recorded yeah. that, and that and I would say that's when you started changing for the better. W- yeah. w- would you agree? Like, was it around that time? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm look it up. I I think it was actually like late December, early January that I went on your podcast last year. I'm gonna check right now. You're episode six, right? I think you are. I don't yeah, know. I'm episode six. Episode I'm, I want to say it was late December. Damn, I'm a good. Host, you're 11 months. It's been 11 months. The oh. exact date oh. is January 3rd. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks, it'll be yeah. wow. a year. <laughs> January 3rd. Wow. Funny coincidence. What? A, wow. Yeah. I see. I can't believe it's been that long, even. It doesn't feel, it like, doesn't feel that things way. Things have just moved so quickly. But, you know, yeah, I think I'm definitely, it's been a relief, right? Because it's like finally being able to connect the dots yeah. about things that I've been looking for answers for for the, like a decade, right? Like, why do I react this way to certain things? Like, you know, like CJ, you know, was talking about how, you know, he used to be a lot more egotistical or he'd get angry, you know, and have these like kind of reactions that wouldn't fit the circumstances. I, I really related to that because I had the same thing. Yeah. And... You know, I can finally be able to confidently say, I know where this came from now, you know, and tie it back to how these things shaped my reality and my perception and caused me to develop these strategies that kept me safe as a kid. But now they just get me in trouble because they don't they no longer serve me. It doesn't. Can you give me an example? Um, that you're comfortable with? Sure. So I'll actually I'll give you a good example. So when I was young, a mistake was never just a mistake, right? It, it, I would rarely get an explanation. And if, it, if I did get an explanation for why what I did was wrong or a mistake or whatever, it was a fear-based one, right? And that, and that was true at home and in school. So... What that taught me 
was in order for Bashoy to be safe, I have to be able to anticipate, predict, assess, and manipulate and have perfect judgment at all times. Because if I don't, it's going to lead to punishment, whether it's physical or emotional. It's going to lead to humiliation or embarrassment or, you know, a combination of those things. Okay. Whether it was at home or school. So, so you had to prepare. So, yeah, it, it made me have this belief that I needed to be perfect gotcha. in my thinking, in my judgment. Because if I'm if I have perfect judgment, I can avoid making mistakes where I would be like, oh, fuck, I should have thought of that. And if I if I thought of that, I wouldn't be in pain right now, whether it's emotional or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right. And or. um or, you know, pain or, or the fact that pain, right? I was taught that like pain was a valid tool that could be used to send a message or teach a lesson, especially when you felt that all else had failed. Because part of it's that like self blame, right? Or, 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 you know, yeah, part of it's that self blame where it's like, oh, if I had only paid enough attention, if I'd only listened the first time, I wouldn't be in pain right now, right? I wouldn't be physically or emotionally hurting. Yeah. So, therefore, I need to pay attention to my surroundings. I need to pay attention. I need to assess. I need to predict. I need to anticipate. I need to make a judgment, and it has to be the right call because if I make the wrong call, I'm going to get hurt one way or another, right? So you felt trapped. Helpless, right? Powerless, and that was my way of keeping myself safe, right? But then that, as you grow up thinking that way, that, that pressure, that sense of perfectionism, it's one of the foundations for overdeveloped narcissism, you know, and that, and that narcissistic response, that fight response. And I struggled with narcissistic tendencies that were developed from that environment where those tactics made sense when I was a kid, but now it was like I was on a hair trigger. Right. And I would, I would act like I knew everything and that whatever I thought had to be correct and, and and that there was no other way. I thought I was better than other people. I would rage, you know. I mean, it gets deeper than that. But I, I would say, I'll, I'll just put it this way, right? There's two. I've told you about both these books, but I want to just put it out there for anybody who's. They're, I'm yeah. very, very good. They're very good. Yeah. For anybody who wants to kind of explore these things, there's two books that I would recommend for anyone to read. Whether or not these things apply to you, it, it doesn't matter because you're going to you're going to find people in your life where you're going to read these books and you're going to be like, wow, I understand that this person so much more now. One of them is, yeah, that one. It's uh, complex PTSD. Whenever from, I listen to one, I have to buy it. Yeah. Complex PTSD from surviving to thriving by Pete Walker. Um, and you know, whether or not you have complex PTSDs is not the point. The point is it, it really gives good insight into the, you know, the different ways that humans respond to threat, right? Whether it's fight, yeah. flight, freeze, or fawn. And how with PTSD, it's a, you have an overdeveloped, like, response where you, you gravitate towards one or two of them or a hybrid. Like, this is an incredible book. Yeah. Like, not, not only did I learn about myself, but I learned about my parents, my siblings, and I learned about strangers. Yeah. Like, people I encounter throughout the day, I'm like, wow, okay, this... Like even things that I couldn't relate to, I was like, "This makes complete sense." Like yeah. this is, I I recommend this to everyone. 
especially parents, actually, I recommend this too. Yeah. And, yeah, that book is really what started my path. Yes, I agree. finally understanding, holy shit, this is why I would react this way, you know, and finally be able to start to take control of myself, you know, and and finally move past these things that were holding me back. And then the other book, which is a great compliment to this one because this book goes a lot into codependency, but uh, it's it's a little thinner on the narcissism response. Um, so another book that I listened to that was like felt like it was like the missing piece to this book is called Rethinking Narcissism by Dr. Craig Malkin. And that one talks about how narcissism, narcissism is a spectrum and it's a trait um, that is found that everybody has, right? It's mm-hmm. just a, it's a personality trait. And you can either have not enough of it, which is what, you know, he calls it co- echoism because of the, the myth of narcissus. Like the other side to that story that a lot of people forget about is Echo was chasing after Narcissus and Narcissus, you know, rejected her. So then she cursed him to fall in love with his own reflection and he dove in the pool and that's how he died. But Echo didn't have her own voice, right? And she was just constantly chasing after Narcissus and, you know, she was codependent, right? And so when you don't have enough of that trait, enough narcissism, that's what, you know, goes into codependent territory, unhealthy codependency. Um, Healthy narcissism is what allows you to be, like, confident, uh, self-assured. Yeah. You know, everybody, it's okay to feel special and, and to view the people around you as a little bit more special than they are. You know, people, there's studies that, sh- you know, that have shown that, like, people who view the world through slightly rose-tinted glasses have happier lives than those who see the world more realistically, right? They call it the sadder but wiser effect, right? Yeah, I've heard that in different yeah, explanations yeah. before. And then, un- and then there's extreme narcissism where you have too much of that trait, narcissism, and that's what causes, you know, people to be very manipulative and self-serving. And, and really, it's a preoccupation with the self and the ego. It's not that you're in love with yourself, like the mainstream definition of it. It's actually quite the opposite. It's that you use that need to feel special as a crutch to the point where it affects your life and the lives of those around you in a very negative way. Because you're, it's it's basically, it takes, like, the, the narcissism book looks at narcissism from the the perspective of it being on a spectrum and from an addiction model, whereas it's an addiction to narcissistic supply that you use to escape from deep feelings of unworthiness, shame, brokenness, unlovableness, and you do everything in your power to chase that high and get it from different people and maintain this false image of, you know, a false self, right? Where you you feel like who you really are is so broken that, you disown your real self and you believe that if anybody sees you for who you truly are, they're going to reject you or abandon you. So you create this false self, right? And and that's what that's what extreme narcissism is. It's not that you're in love with yourself. It's actually quite the opposite. But it just presents that way from the outside. But um, yeah, anyway, I don't. I can spend hours talking do about you, it. Do, it's you, easier no, no, no. Yeah. do you think people are predisposed to like a larger... Uh, like narcissism, or do you think it usually always has to do with how they were raised? Can people be predisposed to having more narcissism than others? Well, 
so it's dynamic, right? So like part of it is like I was more narcissistic when I was younger. Okay. Right. But part of me letting go of that mindset has been just getting older and learning. And then another part has just been like me actively learning about this stuff and going to therapy and addressing the underlying stuff. But the thing about narcissism is that it's dynamic. It varies depending on, you know, who you're with. It's all about context, right? Like, you know, and, and if something like, for example, you know, it's a response to threat. It's a response to perceived threat, right? So it's like something could be especially, you know, triggering for you that it makes you feel threatened. So you, you slide towards being more narcissistic because it's, it's a mechanism that's in place, you know, for a reason. It's your mind is trying to protect itself from threats to its ego, right? And sometimes that's appropriate, but it's like, it's like with, you know, with, with complex PTSD in general, it's when you over-rely on it, that's when it starts going haywire. So you can be more narcissistic in some situations or certain times of your life or when you have, when you're around certain people or if, you know, your work environment is a certain way. And, but it, it's always shifting, right? Like, like for me, what I realized is that over the last like 10 years of my life, I would alternate between narcissism and codependency because I would overcorrect because I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew there was something wrong when I came to terms with how shitty I was in my, when I was being like highly narcissistic when I was, you know, 18, 19, I was so afraid to assert myself after that because I was afraid, Oh, what if I become that way again, that I let people walk all over me and I became codependent. And then it was like, I kept going back and forth, back and forth. And it wasn't until I finally, identified what the fuck has been going on with me all these years that I was able to finally start to, you know, uh, heal (laughs) for one thing and also be able to kind of channel that stuff into, you know, find new and healthier coping mechanisms and that sort of thing. So, but as far as predisposition, I think a lot of it is environmental, but it could also... Yeah, like like some people. So, in in the narcissism book, when he talks about the spectrum, he talks about how like. So like healthy narcissism is rank is rated from a four to a six. Six is more assertive. Four is more passive, and and and, and some people like they live at six or they live at five or they live at four. That's their like default state, and that could be partially genetics, right? Okay. So like when I was younger, based on. The way he and, and in the book he he describes each one, like each number. So when I was younger, I would say I was like I lived at a seven, where it was like just at the beginning of unhealthy, and then I would get triggered into an eight and at my worst a nine, right? But then as I've gotten older and wiser and started healing and learning and all that, now I would say I live at a six where I'm in the healthy range, but I'm on the assertive end of the healthy range. But to this day, because I'm still, you know, I'm still working on it and nobody's perfect. You're always going to make mistakes. Uh, You know, if something makes me feel threatened enough, I'll slide into a seven or even an eight, but I don't, I I don't get as bad as I used to. Right. So that's where kind of like predisposition comes to, comes into role because some people are naturally more assertive or more passive. 
So that kind of can affect what your default state is, but even your default can change, right? Because your experiences shape who you are over time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does that answer your no. question? Yeah. I guess the reason why I asked, though, is because I did want to hear your opinion. And you said it naturally about genetics. Like, I want to know how much you believe or how much you've read that has to do with genetics and being predisposed to, um, you know, I don't want to say mental illnesses, but, like, mental things, right? Because right. um, I know I'm pretty sure I've never – I'm not diagnosed. I've never been tested or whatever, but based on – my family and based on myself, I feel like we are predisposed to um, having depression more so than the average person. Sure. I mean, like, there's been yeah a few suicides in my family. No one that I've actually known, though. Um, there's been, I think, schizophrenia on both sides. Like, so, like, there's some, we got some a good pot of, like, weird chemicals going on. So, I, I think that some of us are more predisposed to having depression than others. So I was, I was curious, like, well, can the same thing be for narcissism? Because I've never learned about nar- narcissism the way you talked about it. The only time I've ever learned about narcissism was to basically be the, oh, you're in love with yourself kind of thing. Like, there, there's a very shallow um, education when it comes to mental yeah. education, I guess. And, and, you know, it doesn't help either that, like, and the reason I, I sought out a book on narcissism specifically is because after reading this book, when it described the fight response, which is tied to, you know, the narcissistic response. Um, I'm like, yeah, this really applies to me. I'm like a hybrid, you know, they like, cause it gets into hybrids too, where he's like, there's fight fawn or fawn fight and mm-hmm. flight freeze types. You know, there's all these different types. And I really identified with the fight fawn and the fawn fight types. It was almost like I would switch. Can you explain to you what the, f- what uh, those mean? Um, well, because fawn is confusing. For so, people. F- okay. So I'll say what, so fawn is like the people pleasing codependent response. Okay. You know, th- where you make yourself small, you, you know, it, it's letting yourself be, you know, walked Passive. all over or whatever, yeah. really like annihilating like pushover, your, right? Yeah. And just annihilating your sense of self in order to keep yourself safe or to please the other person so that yeah. you don't get, you know, conformity. Reg- yeah. 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 So like fight fawn is basically, I mean, I would say just, <sighs> Just read the book, people. <laughs> Just read the book. <laughs> yeah, because I can, like I said, I mean, I'll accidentally end up reciting this whole book without meaning to if you let me go on. I, don't I mean, like, do we don't, I mean, like. No, no, no. We don't, we don't need to do that. <laughs> but my point is, like, the reason I sought out the narcissism stuff is that I, like, this book didn't fill in all the gaps for me when it came to the fight response. Um and then I noticed on Instagram, I was seeing all this stuff about, like, how evil narcissists are. And like, you know, the, the narcissistic abuse recovery programs. And it was like, it was always people that were either like victims of narcissistic abuse themselves or they were like trying to sell something. And, God, I, hate and, that. and I noticed a lot of Ugh. black and white terminology being used to describe narcissists, which kind of countered what some of what was in this book. Yeah. So it made me be like, OK, no, there's got to be more to this. I want I want to look into this more. So that's when I found this book, Rethinking Narcissism by Dr. Craig Malkin. And that's when it, you know, seeing it just laid out as, no, this is a personality trait found in 98% of human beings, and it's a spectrum. You can have enough of it, not enough or too much. And, you know, each person is unique, and it, and they, it presents in different ways. 
and what your default can even change, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's what kind of led me there. And I'm so glad it did because it really just made everything make a lot more sense. And I guess to, to bring it back to what you were saying, genetics, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it might even be in that book, but like, but you, you can, you can say this about anything, right? Like not even just narcissism, but in anything. Genetics may determine where you start or play a role in where you start, but they don't determine where you end up, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you're predisposed towards depression or narcissism narcissism, or <laughs> a thyroid problem, or th- yeah. which I'm all three, so. Yeah, well, my, my, I've, <laughs> you know, I've got a thyroid runs my family too, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that's like it's set in stone. It's like that film. What was that? A Gattaca? Gattaca, great. I there love you go. Movie. Yeah, movie. you know, yeah. it doesn't mean that it's set in stone. You're doomed to your fate. You can, you can do things to alter the course of your life and and reshape who you are, right? And that's what I've been trying to do, and I'm moving in a good direction. I still got a long ways to go, but being able to finally understand what I'm dealing with, whereas before I didn't even know what was wrong with me. I just thought like I had this evil person like living within me that would come out during certain times, you know? Yeah. It's really hard to uh, do these things on your own too. So I think therapy has played a huge role. Like for sure. Like, like I love reading all these books, but like I would say, you know, everybody should be in therapy. Well, even harder than starting is finding the right therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've never done that. But I am. I could. Not only can I imagine, but I've heard you know, anecdotes of how hard it is to find the right therapist. Like so, yeah. that's a battle on its own. It is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's. I mean, I'll even tell you. Like my, I started going to therapy. Actually, yeah, a little over a year ago, and at one point I was seeing two different therapists. But I, because because I did this thing where I was like, I'm gonna do three years of therapy in one year, because that was like my trauma. That's a problem. That was my trauma brain, right? Because I was like, you know what? I need to fix what's wrong with me as fast as possible because I don't want to give another moment to my trauma. I don't want to lose any more friendships or any more potential connections or whatever because of my past bullshit, right? And, And 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 I had this belief that if I can fix things fast enough, I can avoid doom right or catastrophe which was another (laughs) how relatable wow yeah which was another part of you know my past trauma kind of manifesting itself right but uh i was seeing like two different therapists going to therapy three times a week right that's intense but part of that too it wasn't just that i was trying to do three years of therapy in one it was also because my codependent (laughs) side was coming out and i was afraid (laughs) i was afraid to drop my first therapist because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. You were trying to speed run healing and it <laughs> fucked you up. Yeah, you can't do that. But but even that aside, it was like my codependent yeah, side. That sucks. Was afraid to um, drop my first That's therapist so because she wasn't really working well for me. But I didn't want to hurt her feelings, even though I knew yeah. she was a professional. Uh, yeah. Like I just that people pleasing side of me was like, no, don't hurt her feelings. Do you think you would have felt the same way if you weren't already seeing no therapist? Because I feel like. If I was seeing one therapist, I wouldn't have any hard feelings. But if I was seeing two, I'd be like, oh, I, I, be- I bet they're going to guess that I'm already seeing another one. <laughs> like, like, I feel like Well, no, I told case. my first therapist that I was seeing a, a second therapist. Oh, okay, but, really? But I was seeing the second therapist for something else. It was for EMDR therapy. 
no idea what that is. Uh, it's it's eye eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's it's really interesting. Look into it. But okay. But then I started seeing my EMDR therapist for talk sessions as well as EMDR, and and it was just working a lot better for me than my first therapist, who is just a talk therapist. And I had to like figure out a way to kind of let her down easy, even though I didn't need to. But again, that was that codependent part of me kind of coming to the surface. Um, let's let's. I want to talk about therapy for a second, because okay. um, I'm a very like. Uh, this is going to sound like such a lie because I'm horrible at math, but I'm very mathematical when it comes to a lot of things where it's like I've got to understand why it's happening and, and why it reacts this way. It's then like, you'd love therapy. <laughs> no, but the, the, the thing is it's like not about myself. Oh. It's like, okay, if I'm if, if I'm cooking, if, I, if I'm building, you know, a podcast studio, if, if, if I'm editing, it's like, or if, if I'm at school learning about philosophy or history, it's like I got to know exactly why these things happen before I could even allow myself to learn about it. So if I went to therapy, I feel like I would say to the therapist, I'd be like, okay, before like I open up about anything, you, you got to tell me what like what are you going to be doing? Like I want to know what you went to school for and, and what uh, – what's the word? What uh, things you're going to try to talk me through with, like what uh, – not 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 program, but uh, fucking like what method are you method? Like what yeah. methods are you gonna use? Like, like DBT, I, I, I need CBT. to I need to know I need to yeah. know what you're about to do because I know your agenda. Like I'm not, I'm not agenda is a strong word, but I mean I know your agenda is to help me. I hope at least that's the prime agenda. So I need to know what you're gonna what you're gonna do, and I feel like that would also make it so the therapy doesn't work because I know you're what you're gonna do. I'm gonna plan what you're gonna say next. Like I'm like. Mental, I'm like, you know? So, no, I get what you're saying. So, <laughs> you know what that sounds like to me? What? That sounds like a control thing. I, okay, before right? you say another thing, <laughs> there's no way I, I can deny that I have a problem with control. Yeah. I, I'm like, my father said it to me in a, in a, he only said it to me once in a joke, because I said to him something about, you know, growing up or doing something. Oh, I remember what it was. I don't, the only time I ever drink alcohol is on this podcast, which is funny because the only time I ever drink alcohol. Oh, is, is that why you're putting out more content recently? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because I only ever drink alcohol on camera. But uh, I remember telling my father, like, I don't like drinking because I don't like the way it makes me feel. Like, I've my entire life, I've been involved in combat sports, so yeah. I've always known what's going to happen and when it's going to happen, and I've always had to be ready to be in control of the situation. It's funny you say that, because I don't like drinking for the same reason, Yeah, there's no combat sports involved so, for me. I just like to feel like I'm in control of my body. Well, there could be other reasons for me, but I, I attribute it to that, because my whole life, that's... yeah. Whenever whenever my family or my friends are like, oh, Marky, you're so good at this, you're so good at that, it's always been being strong physically and being able to wrestle and grapple and fight. Like that, that, that was my thing. Yeah. And then I, I, I took to it so much and I loved it so much. And when I drink or if, or I do anything that alters my perspective, I, I don't feel comfortable at all. So my dad made a joke. He's like, that's because you don't like, you don't like when you're not in control. And I'm like, you're fucking right. Yeah. I do not like it. So I would agree with you. I do have, I guess either I mean, a problem or whatever. Listen, I'll, let me tell you something. So, you're not alone in that, right? And, I mean, the control thing falls under the umbrella of narcissism, but, like, let me, let me I'll give you an example of control, because I have the same issue, right? Okay. And what I was saying before about the two therapists thing, like, the point of me saying that was, like, it's okay to shop around for therapists until you find one that's right for you, and sometimes, like, one, there's two kind of, 
things to consider. Like one is yes, like what kind of therapy is it? Because there's so many different kinds. There's just talk therapy. There's EMDR. There's you know CBD, uh, CBT, cognitive behavior. CBD beha- therapy. No, <laughs> CBD. I'm sure there is, but yeah. c- you know cognitive behavioral therapy. There's uh, um, DBT, dialectic dialectic be- behavioral therapy. Like there's all these different kinds. There's a lot. Right? There's a lot. Yeah. But a good therapist, one, they like some of them, yeah, they, they tend to go like one over the other. But usually therapists can do like they're certified in more than one, right? Um, but like regarding control, so my my current therapist, you know, my only therapist now, she was my second Good for therapist. Her. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? So like this is like I knew that she was right for me because I felt it, right? Sometimes it's that's just what it is, right? Yeah. Like, it actually turns out EMDR, it was working for me, but I felt like I was getting more out of our talk. Like, it was working for me, but I felt like I was getting more out of my talk sessions with her than I was from the EMDR. But the thing with this therapist is that for, like, almost a year, she knew, she caught on to, she caught on to my games. Right? Oh, that's weird. No, no, no. But but this is why she's a great therapist. Okay. Right? Because a great therapist will identify those things that you're struggling with, like control or whatever, uh-huh. and will foster an environment, a space for you to feel like you can start to let go of those things. And then the real work begins. So what I was doing, right, Okay. is because I have a lot of shame about how I used to be and, like, my past behavior – um, I feel this need to prove myself, right? And especially because my therapist is a female therapist. I get that too. And, and, I've, and I've told you about, you know, how I was like a piece of shit to my ex-girlfriend, uh-huh. right? And I'll, I'll say that openly. Um, I felt this need. I didn't realize I was doing this, but I realized I was trying to win at therapy. Like if some, you, I'm sure a lot of I people totally have, have seen those memes, right, about winning at therapy. And <laughs> yeah. I, but the, here's the crazy thing: yeah. I would see those memes too, and it never dawned on me that that could be applied to me. I was like, oh, haha, trying to win at therapy. That's funny. Like, what a waste of time. Meanwhile, I was doing that very thing just in my own like clever way, so to speak. And what I was doing is, I was dominating the sessions. Each week, I would come to my therapist, I'd go into the session, and, and I'd have all these new re- realizations that I came to on my own, or because I read all these books, right? You know, I'd, I read like six, seven different books on trauma, and I'd always come back and talk about them and what I've learned, and I'd always come to her with realizations, and we never like went deep on anything, because I would, I would, I would, excuse me, I was always bombarding her would just, oh, I realized this, I realized that. I think I did this because of this reason. And it, I was just, like, running the sessions and dominating. And then I realized, finally, after, like, eight months, that the reason I was doing that was because I felt like I needed to prove myself to her because I had all this shame about how I used to be that I was like, if I can prove that I no longer want anything to do with how I used to be and that I've grown and that I've changed and I'm and and show how hard I'm working to be a better person then I can prove myself to my therapist and then she won't judge me for the fact that I used to be you know a very very narcissistic and and although I've never been to a therapist like you I can relate to what you're saying yes so like when I realized I was doing that I finally told her I'm like hey 
I'm going to stop trying to control Have another these. realization. <laughs> yeah. But it was the, the realization to end all realizations, yeah. right? I was like, listen, I realized that this is what I've been doing the last eight months. I've been dominating and controlling the sessions because I feel like I needed to prove myself to you. Especially because, you know, like, her being a female kind of, like, affected that dynamic because it was like, I, I saw so my funny. ex in her a little bit. You know what I mean? It's so funny, though. That you did everything wrong to try to be, do something right, and it still ended up getting you to do something right. You, I mean, it's, I, mean we're like, all, I mean, listen, we're all just taking shots in the dark though? until something sticks. That's kind of right? funny, but 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 I needed to do all that right because yeah. that's how I learned. Wow. I needed to go through that because that was my process, right? Yeah. And, and and for my therapist to have the patience that she did, she told me like, yeah, like two months in, I figured out what was going on. And I was like, you're telling me for like 10 months total or eight months, you've you just let been me letting do me this? do this. Like, yeah, like God bless you for having the patience to deal with me. But and why should you do it though? Because she knew what was, ha- she caught, she said she caught on to the dynamic and she knew that that's what I was doing. And she was thinking that I would figure it out eventually. And, but she was like, she, there were moments where she was like, ah, I'm, I, I think I need to steer him, like, in that direction. But she was, Jeez. she was just, by being very patient with me, it allowed, and holding that space for me, it allowed me to slowly feel more and more safe with her to where I'm like, okay, she's not going to judge me. I can let go of control. And then, you know, ever since, I don't dominate the sessions anymore. I don't try to take control of the sessions. And then we can start to really dive into things. And I, I, you know, and yeah, I still talk a lot because that's p- the point of therapy, but I'm no longer, you know, <laughs> not leaving any chance for her to talk at all. So that was like your control then. So Yeah. So, so what my point with that is that a good therapist will see through your bullshit and be, and have the patience to let you kind of <laughs> decompress it on your own to where you feel safe enough to not feel that need to control. You ever see uh, The Prince's Bride? Yeah, of course. You know that scene where he's like, I knew you would put the, the poison in that, bo- that cup, but I switched the cup. But did I switch the cup? You yeah. remember that scene? Yeah. Like, that's what I'd be like in therapy. It's like, I knew you would think yep. you knew I would do this thing, so I did it differently. Yeah. But I knew you'd do that. Yeah. I feel like that's what I would be like in therapy. Yeah. That's so funny. But which which one would you be in that scenario? I'd, I'd be the Sicilian, whatever his name is. You'd be the, so what happens to the I'm Sicilian? A cra- he dies. <laughs> He's a crazy man. <laughs> yeah, obviously I'd be the Sicilian. I'm the one well, talking listen, the most because I'm a crazy. I'm, person. I want to say this. This is let's not say the Sicilian dies. The Sicilian loses, right? Sure, he loses pretty grimly. <laughs> I guess. Sure, yeah, he um, loses. Yeah, but but anyway, like the point of that is, a good therapist is the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the good they're, therapist. They're, they know. They see you seeing them seeing you. <laughs> and he just sits there like this. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually really funny. Yeah. Someone should put that on Reddit. Like, me and, like, over the Sicilian and my therapist over. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be actually. Yeah, that I'd would get be a, a good meme. I'd get a lot of karma for that but one. Yeah, finding finding the right therapist isn't easy. And, you know, like, I didn't even do it on the first try. And, j- like I said, just God bless my therapist yeah. for dealing with me and, and noticing and identifying my control issues and letting me work through them on my own. Right? And that's important, you know? Okay, so then... Uh, in the same, I, I still I want to stay in therapy, but I want to go down to a, a more of a, a finances kind of thing. Because 
unless you're still 26 year, years old or under and you have your parents have good insurance I was talking to someone who doesn't have their parents insurance so they have like uh state yeah. insurance it's like it, they say it's possible to find mental health like doctors that take that insurance but it's really 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 hard and I feel like if you can't find someone that's where like you know books come into play and that's where like you know friends and family come into play if, if yeah. they're not the ones that are making you go crazy um but is there a route you would say you you should try going if you can't if you don't have the financial means to get a therapist? Yeah, well, for one, a lot of therapist practices offer what's called reach programs or sliding scale. Okay, where if you don't have insurance, rather than paying the full amount, they charge you a reduced price. Right? Some some will go as low as fifty bucks a session. Um, my current therapist was doing it for 80 before I got health insurance again. Um, actually, you want to know something funny? Yes, the I do. Day, the day all that BS with my previous job, which I, I legally can't even say yes. who they really? are. Really? You can never say legally? Never? Well, yeah. Cause it, it was, okay, we'll play it safe. I'm just... But you know who I'm talking about. I know about. exactly who you're talking about. The day that bullshit happened with my previous employer was the same day was my first day of therapy. That's awesome. And I had my health insurance <laughs> through that employee. Yeah. And I lost it 30 days later, so then I was paying out of pocket. And then I was paying two therapists out of pocket. Jeez. And then, yeah, but now I have health insurance because of that Biden bill. Oh, what's that? I don't know anything well, about that. Well, it's too late now, but there was, like, a period between, like, July to August where you can go on healthcare.gov and... Um, sign up and you would get like a drastically reduced healthcare rate. Wow. Like I was getting Pretty like, cool. I was like my health insurance was normally like 340 bucks a month. I'm, right now I'm paying f- like 40 bucks a month. Whoa. Yeah. It was like Whoa. $300 off a month because of the right. Biden bill. But the only thing that sucks is it ends. It wow. was only for this year, this calendar year. So starting in January, I still get a reduced rate. But it's only like a hundred bucks off instead of you know three hundred, um, and that was for anybody who collected unemployment in twenty twenty or this year, which I did because of what happened with my previous job. But um, because before before you uh, came here, I was trying to find out how to pay less for my loans. What a nightmare! Yeah, man. what yeah. a nightmare! I don't even see. I I don't even want to touch that with a ten foot pole. That's why I'm avoiding. Well, you know how before you said it's like you either see people that didn't go to school and they're doing this well, people that did go to school and they're doing this well, and it's like, and you see both people and they can do horrible. Yeah, I did both go to school and not go to school. <laughs> I got the worst mix possible. Yeah. It fucking yeah. sucks. I hate it. Yeah, because I'm paying. What well, I'm paying like, I paid I paid it down, but I think I started with like thirty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, and I'm and I still got X amount of dollars. And I I don't have a degree that can do anything for me, and I I I, I took countless classes, countless hours of things I didn't want to learn and didn't care about, and now I'm I'm here making not enough money to pay them. Yeah. So it's like it's like fuck. I got to start training dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, see, that's the thing. I want to go to college, but then like I discovered this passion well, for dog yeah. training, and there's good money if you become a master trainer. It's like the the guy I'm looking at. He it's a two year program. And you can train police dogs, search and rescue, cadaver dogs, drug detection, oh, explosive detection. Dogs. Or you could just do regular, you know, train regular people dogs. But, like, you can train working dogs, too. And there's really good money in that shit. 
Yeah, right? you're telling me. So I was know. thinking, you know, this might just be my lifelong passion, honestly, because I do really enjoy it and find fulfillment in it. Like, you know, my, my dog, I have a nine-year-old Belgian Malinois that uh, he's a rescue. And every time, like, you know, so he's an older dog and he's been through some shit. And, like, every time I teach him something new, or and, and just further develop that bond, that relationship. It's such a fulfilling feeling mm. that, for all I know, I might just be like, you know what, I, I don't feel the need to go to college anymore. I want to do this for a living. I'm going to start my own dog training. I'm school. like, I, I hope, like maybe you, you find a way to. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm open to that. But I, right, right now, my my kind of vision is become a dog trainer, have that one of those things in, in my skill set. And then use that money to go to college and then still have another skill. And then it's the long term, like we're talking about. Right. But I'm open. Like maybe I won't go to college at all if the dog training thing really works out and it stays fulfilling. Or maybe I'll do both. Or maybe I'll eventually move on from it. Who knows? But I'm open to those things. Right now, I'm I'm just trying to focus on now. Right. So what do you say? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say to answer your original question, you know, for anybody who's considering therapy, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, look into sliding scale, and uh, <laughs> another thing, you know, it's always worth it to uh, go to healthcare.gov healthcare.gov and uh, sign up for healthcare. Are you being Obama right now? <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I used to do it. <laughs> I used to do it really well. Don't worry, Johnny will be here in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we'll have him do. Biden. Now look, uh, let me be clear. <laughs> no, I can't do it anymore. I, I used to. I used to actually do a pretty decent Obama, but. It's it's been so sure. long since I've heard him speak. I, I can barely do a me, so it's okay. Wow, um, I don't even know what to say. I, have, that. I don't. <laughs> either, yeah. But yeah, I would say you know look into sliding scale, um, look into getting you know healthcare not through a job because you don't need to. And there is, you know, like there are there are options. Is my point. And then other than that, there's great audiobooks available. There's great YouTube channels that really dive into this stuff. You know, and starting somewhere is always better than starting nowhere. And, and, and I would say the most important thing is don't go into it thinking like there's something wrong with you that needs to be fixed. Go into it just with a curiosity, right? Like, I just want to understand myself better. But wait, 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 wouldn't you, know? wouldn't you only be contemplating therapy if you felt like you had a problem? Not necessarily. I think therapy is for anybody can benefit from it, right? But that's the only reason why I would go. Well, I mean... Currently, at least. So... Think about it this way, right? Actually, <laughs> all the podcasts I listen to, there's like better, like all the ones that are sponsored by BetterHelp, they run an yeah. ad where the way they actually put it, like, I don't know if I'd recommend BetterHelp. Yeah, I don't know I don't, if I trust them. I don't know enough about it, but that actually could be, I didn't even think about that. That could be an option for people too. There are a lot of apps, more, yeah. more than just BetterHelp. Yeah. But, but the way they describe it is think of it as like, maintenance right for your for your brain right so like even if it, there, there doesn't have to be anything wrong with you it, it's the same way you you might go to the gym to maintain your body think think of therapy as going to maintain your mental health as well so it's not always about fixing something it's it, co- it could also just be about maintaining or even growing right yes and and just yes. being curious right it's like like the way i the way i see it it's like I don't know any th- enough about cars. I want to learn more about cars, but yeah. it's like right now, if I were to pop the hood of my car, I'd be able to look at it and be like, okay, I know that's the engine. <laughs> yeah. I know that's where the oil is. I know that's where the windshield yeah. wiper fluid goes. And uh, I'd be looking at the trunk saying, where's the so, fucking engine? But no, no, but my point is like, you know, you might be able to look under the hood and, and understand a little bit, which I think that's like, 
with psychology or anything like that. Like we all know a little bit, right? Yeah. But we don't have a deep understanding. So then imagine being tasked with, hey, I want you to pop that hood, look at look and identify the issue or identify what needs repair or whatever. I'd be like, uh, I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I feel like it's like that with the human mind, right? Like we as humans, we're a lot more similar. If, if, if nothing else, these books have taught me that humans really are like, we really do have almost a programming that makes sense. When you really start to understand it, there's a logic to the way we respond to things and what causes us to learn to respond to things a certain way over others and all that stuff, right? So where it's like, look at it, like like a lot of people like are afraid to go to therapy because they're afraid of what they might discover. That's a big, big thing, right? Even Even I had a mental block when I finally, you know, a year and a half ago, I decided. Just grab this. Yeah. A year and a half ago, I decided, you know, I think I need to go back to therapy because I'd started going for a little bit when I was 19, but I couldn't afford it. And I didn't know about all the options that I had back then. Um, But I was like, I think it's time I go to therapy again. It took me like almost two months for me to like actually start searching and calling offices because I had this mental block and I, and I didn't know why I just felt like there was something stopping me from following through. But then I finally, you know, I overcame it and I, and I took that plunge and I'm so glad that I did. But all that is to say that like going to therapy is not an easy decision. It's a scary decision. But what I say to people who have talked to me and asked me about it is think about it as that fear is really fear of the unknown. You're afraid of, popping the hood and not understanding what you what you what you're going to see under there and what you're going to find, right? But what therapy really is, it's like going to mechanic school. Don't think of it as you're popping the hood and you're going to be overwhelmed with things you don't understand. No, it's you're you're popping the hood and having somebody teach you how this how this shit works and and how you work and and so you can understand it so that when you look at it it's not scary anymore because you know what you're looking at. That's what this book especially did for me. You know, like two years ago, if you told me that I was or still struggle with, you know, if I I was a narcissist or that I still struggle with narcissism, I'd be, that would have just made me feel like shit, right? Because I didn't know what narcissism really was. I only had a mainstream concept of what it is. And, I didn't want to be told that there was something wrong with me because nobody likes hearing that. But because I now understand what it really means, it doesn't scare me. So I can openly say, yeah, you know what? I struggle with narcissistic tendencies and I've done things in the past that I'm really ashamed about. And I understand what toxic shame is now and how it affects me and causes me to shut down emotionally and or, or react rather than respond. You know, it's like once you understand it, it's not scary anymore, but it's that getting over that initial fear and trusting that you're not there to be dissected. You're there to learn, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's really what it comes down to. It, it, and, and having that curiosity about yourself, right? It was once I let go of 
trying to hide my shame, hide the things I was, uh, I was ashamed to admit about myself, and instead almost looking at myself from an outside perspective and being like, I want to understand myself better. I'm curious. It, it doesn't, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to let myself be afraid of what might come up, whether, uh, you know, there was a time I was afraid I was a sociopath. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know I'm not, right? But, like, because I didn't understand this shit, I was afraid. But then I, eventually I hit that point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just curious. I want to know more about me. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I just want to know. And that curiosity, mm. once that curiosity outweighed my fear, that's when, you know, I started on this journey and, and I'm so glad that I have, you know? So I want to, I want to open up this. Oh, this I forgot we had water. Oh my God. Yeah. It's been sitting there. I wonder <laughs> when you're going to drink it. I don't it. even remember moving it. Yeah. <laughs> There's, um, I think I said it already in the beginning of this episode, but I want to, if, if I did, I'm sorry, but I, I want to say it again. We grow up being told, you know, how to live life, how to survive, how to, you know, you know, go to school, go to trade school, whatever it is, um, make money doing this, make money doing that. And almost nowhere in life are we taught why to live life, reasons why it's worth it, how to make memories, how to enjoy things, how to be happy. We're so worried. We're so worried about how to live, we forget to live at all. And so we're people like wait, you. Wait, wait, wait. Is that is that like from Fight Club? No, no. I don't know why it sounds familiar. Um, no. My favorite quote from Fight Club is, uh, "We've all been raised on t- uh, television uh, to be millionaires, movie gods, and rock stars, but we won't." So, no. That that's more of a, a grandiose dreams. Okay. Uh, Fight Club is, but it, it can be related to Fight Club, of course. But um, Wait, sorry, go on. I didn't mean that. No, no, no. no. It, yeah. it could definitely because Fight. I, I, I'm very drawn to Fight Club, though, so it can be related to that, but. <laughs> It's um, we're 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 all taught to survive, but we're never like really nurtured into finding reason why we should even want to survive. And I feel like people like you, maybe people like me, and other people are left to figure it out on their own. And they have to go to therapy. They have to read these books. They have to figure it out. They're 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 lost. They're helpless. I think a lot of people like you would have benefited a lot more if our culture revolved around. You know, wanting to live at, because it's something we that that that's precious. It's a gift. We want to enjoy it rather than we have to just survive. I feel like that's w- kind of what we revolve ourselves around in this culture. Am I? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, let me let me flip it on you for a second. Okay. This is something I'm actually learning very recently. Okay. Um, not everything needs a why. Like actually, again, <laughs> this is this has gotten very personal, but that's okay. Um, just my last session in therapy, I as my therapist and I were talking, she kind of like inspired a thought in me where I told her, I think what's going on with me is I need to have all my. I feel like all my, I need to have a why for all my emotions. I need I need my emotions to serve a purpose, and if I can't define a purpose or attribute a purpose to it, then that really, really bugs me. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to like tell me that it's okay to just sit with your feelings. So I'm going to tie that to kind of a bigger picture and say the lesson 
that I'm supposed to be taking away from it and I'm working on it. But I think it applies here as well is that not everything needs a why. I think this idea that everything needs a why or a purpose Mm -hmm. is manufactured, right? So, okay, so then even then, don't you think we would have benefited from being taught, you know, to like how to like be a person, be a normal, like how to be more passive about that? Because I think my problem is I've only, and all my peers have only ever been taught, you know, how to, you know, put pen to paper, how to, you know, you yeah. know bring the hammer down, like how to do right. stuff like that. Right. None of us have been taught love. None of us have been taught happiness, how to just relax, to calm down. Like, we haven't been taught anything. I think that's more what I'm you know, angry yeah. about. I get what you're saying, but you know what you're describing right now? Go ahead. You're describing therapy. Well, that's what I said. That's <laughs> yeah. what I said. That's what therapy does. <laughs> it it kind of does do, awesome. like, something well, close to what you're saying. that's why I mentioned it. I yeah. said people like you, people like I, my peers, our peers, we are stuck having to find help through therapy, through through our own ways of education. and but, but what I feel like we should have gotten was a change in our culture to just being raised by our culture, by our parents, by our school, yeah. to not need this therapy. You could always have it. You could always have it. I get what you're saying. I get you're, what you're saying. I feel like we we yeah. lost a huge opportunity to make ourselves better human beings. Yeah. We're too we're too prioritized with things that shouldn't be that big well, of a priority. I mean, look at it this way, right? I mean, for one, like we as a country, right? We w- all went through a collective trauma that changed which one? <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, but <laughs> like really the the 9-11 really was a very traumatic experience for the country as a whole but, and and on a personal individual level, right? And it's like we've been reeling from that ever since, right? And that's why, and I think it, it plays a big role in, you know, the last time I was on this podcast, I talked about fear, right? And, and actually this book also talks a lot about how like all these responses are fear-based responses, right? And whether it's on a micro scale, the individual level or a societal scale scale, you can see the same things playing, playing out. Right. So what I'm saying is, you know, it's like, like why, like why am I in therapy? Right. I'm in therapy because there's going to, there's always, and I, and I say this to, to a lot of people, there's a fundamental unfairness to trauma, which is that we are some, we are res, we are given the burden of being responsible for healing from and f- overcoming the things that happened to us that weren't our fault to begin with but it's still our responsibility to address them because if we don't what's the alternative if we don't address our past traumas and how they affect us today we're going to take it out on our friends, our family, our loved ones, our children. Yeah, that's what I was saying Right? Before, so, yeah. so I think all we can really do is, like, we can sit here and say we, we missed an opportunity. We should have done this. We should have done that. But what can we do now? Right? And I think, like, on a, whether it's on a personal level, mm-hmm. like, my goal is by going through therapy and, and, and addressing all this stuff, I'm going to become a better parent so that I don't make the same mistakes that, you know, I'm not going to pass my trauma forward. I'm going to break the cycle. Yeah. Right? Yes. And, and and that's all. And I think that if we, the more the more we all start to do that, overall, we're going to have a mentally healthy society. It's going to take time. It's not going to, it's going to be, 
It's not going to be overnight, like you said. But I think the more therapy and mental health gets destigmatized, and the more we have these it's open been, conversations, yeah, and it has been going that direction. The more people start going into therapy and being more curious about themselves and their mental health, they're going to start to learn and grow, and then they're going to be better parents, better friends, better you know partners, and then they're going to produce kids that are going to be more well adjusted because now they're not taking out their trauma on their kids because you know like. Like th- what I mentioned much earlier, how long have we been going now? Like we're at exactly two hours right yeah. now. Wow! So we'll wrap this up because yeah, we're gonna we're gonna finish. Yeah, but it's like what I was saying, you know, earlier on about um, you know, th- this fucked up relationship I had with pain, where I was taught that like pain can be used as a tool to send a message to someone or teach a lesson when all else had failed, because that's what was done to me, right? And and then and when I realized that, I was like, who would I be if I did to others what was done to me? And you know what? I realized that, yeah, maybe pain can be a useful teaching tool in some situations. But the way I grew up, it shaped this belief that it was like a regular thing, you know. And because of that, when I was in situations where I felt like I was unheard, which would was a very big trigger and still is a very big trigger for me that feeling of powerlessness or being unheard, it would it would activate this thing within me that would make me want to inflict emotional pain where it's like, okay, mm. you're not fucking listening to me, so now I'm going to rip you a new one <laughs> verbally and, and basically like force you to listen because and, and because that's what was done to me, you know, and because I, I would blame myself. Oh, if only I'd paid attention. Interesting. If only I'd listened the first time, I wouldn't be in pain, you know, so it's my fault. And then the flip side of that of when somebody's not listening to you, when somebody's making you feel worthless or unheard, you cause them pain so that they they're forced to listen and then you send the message. But it, like as much as I used to do that when I was younger, I would feel like shit about it every time because it never felt good. And it and you know, and it's like people talk about the golden rule, you know, like do unto others what we would have done to you. There's another side to that. It's that people do what was done to them because it's what they know. It's what it's it's they have no other frame of reference. It's it's what they were taught, right? So when I finally had that realization, I stopped myself from from using that tactic recently where I almost did that. I was like this person is making me feel so unheard and so powerless that I'm just going to rip them a new one, to force them to hear what I have to say. But then when I made that connection, you know, to pain and the role it played in my life, I didn't want to do that anymore because I didn't want to do to that person what was done to me. Because you know what I fucking realized? 99% of the things that I learned through pain, I could and should have learned through love and patience and compassion. You know, yes, there's very few things that, that pain could be a useful teacher for. Like, oh, don't play with fire. Don't touch fire. Sure. You know, sometimes, yeah, a person may only be able to learn the hard way, but it, that shouldn't be a regular thing, and it, and it doesn't need to be a regular thing. Most lessons can be taught through love and compassion. And, and it took me diving into myself and my past and examining what was done to me and, and seeing the connection with how I was now using the very same fucking tactics that were used on me and that's when I was like, no, I'm going to fucking break the cycle right here, right now. And I think as we 
destigmatize the conversation around mental health and more and more people go to therapy, we're going to produce healthier kids and we're going to have that vision that you're talking about, you know, because now that I know this, you bet your ass, if I have kids, I'm never going to do to them what was done to me. I'm never going to think that pain is a, is a way to force a lesson onto a kid when I haven't even done enough to consider that there's other more positive ways to explain things and teach things, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good I way think that's a perfect it. way to end yeah. it. I think that we can wrap up. God damn. I think that's really good. <laughs> Guys, um, thank you so much for watching. If you want to hear what the book is called, again, it's Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. Because um, I know I'm, I, I'd hate having to be you and having to go all the way back and find what the title is. Yeah, And the other one was uh, Rethinking Narcissism by Dr. Craig Malkin. Thank you. Um, guys, I said thank you so much for watching. Uh, and we will check you on the next one. Peace.